Uh, would you please pray with me? God, thank you for this psalm. Thank you that you speak in it and you're speaking now through it and you're bringing change in us who need so badly to see you clearly as the most precious thing that we could ever have. And I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to receive that today. I pray that you would clearly show yourself as glorious to us, your people in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this psalm is a psalm about the goodness of God. And by the end of the psalm, even just listening, we see God is held up as the most precious thing, the highest good uh, that we could ever see, the only good thing that could satisfy us completely and the only good thing that could satisfy us forever. And that's just something that we affirm as Christians. And we, we remind our, each other about that. Uh, all the time. So one of the ways some churches do that is the leader will get up and he'll say, God is good. And then the people will say, all the time, God is good. So all the time, or God is good, all the time. And that's a wonderful way to reaffirm God's goodness, a way to uh, share that with each other. And obviously, at least for some of us, even just knowing that way of encouraging each other, uh, it's a truth that we know in our heads about God. God is good. But because we live in a fallen, sinful world, and because we ourselves are fallen and sinful, I, I think a lot of us, many of us maybe, there are definitely times where if we're honest about what we're feeling in our hearts or maybe saying with our families, with our closest friends, uh, what we really feel sometimes is, is that really true? Is it really true that God is good all the time, all the time? God is good? Because if he is so good, then how come it might seem like sometimes uh, when we've been faithful to God, faithful to follow his commands, uh, even through very tempting situations or even through very difficult situations, why, why does God let or make life so hard sometimes? especially maybe compared to other people who don't know God or don't care to know God? Why does it seem like actually sometimes people who don't follow God or don't know God seem better off than us who are, are seeking to be faithful to God? And that's what this psalm is written uh, for us when we face that kind of question. Um, it's written for people like us who struggle to see God's goodness and there are two main stumbling blocks that Psalm 73 uh, kind of holds up and, and deals with. There's this tension between the dif difficulties and the sufferings that God's people face on the one hand and the tension between that and the joy and the prosperity and the happiness even that other people uh, might really legitimately be experiencing who aren't followers of God. So maybe you've asked this question too, or maybe you're asking it now, or maybe soon you'll face a situation where you'll have to ask this question. If God is supposed to be good, then why is my life so hard compared to other people's? Or even if, if life is going well for you today, maybe there's still that sense of, 
why, why does it seem like what God has given me isn't really as satisfying, doesn't seem as wonderful as that over there, as that person's situation or that person's uh, just kind of life in general? Why, why is what I have not feeling like enough compared to that over there? So this psalm speaks really clearly its message to those of us who doubt God's goodness because of hard things, but also really clearly to those of us who dis disregard God's goodness or don't see it. And it's God speaking to us in this psalm. So he's compassionately made very clear in this psalm uh, this one main truth, that he is our only everlasting good. God is our only everlasting good good. And Asaph is the writer of this psalm, and he walks us through his, this story uh, of his own a time in his own life when he was learning this lesson, and we see three truths in particular uh, related to this fact, that God is the only everlasting good. And the first truth, which is hard to accept, hard to see, is that trusting in God doesn't guarantee us or guarantee you the good life. The second thing is that depending on the good life is deadly. And finally, this psalm tells to us that the delight that comes from knowing God is better than life. And th those are things that this psalm says to us, and the question or the prayer is that we'll really believe them and really embrace them and really be changed by them. So this first section of the psalm is wrestling with this first truth, which is hard maybe to accept, that trusting in God doesn't guarantee the good life or the American dream or happiness and prosperity. Trusting in God doesn't guarantee that. The writer of this psalm was a man named Asaph, and he was the worship leader of Israel uh, in the time that King David was king. So if you picture this guy, he's not just the worship leader of one church. Or, or even like a denomination, the head singer guy. He was the worship leader of an entire nation of people. And if you see it at the beginning of the, of the psalm, it says uh, a psalm of Asaph. So this guy actually wrote some of the Bible. This is a big name, high profile. Uh, people know who this man is. But he himself went through this time in life when he really struggled to see the goodness of God. In verse 1, if we start looking at the psalm, we see he says he knew the theory. He knew God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But then right away in verse 2, he says he really struggled to embrace this. So in verse 2, he says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. So right away, we get the sense of this struggle in this guy. On the one hand, he knows God is good, and on the other hand, but as for me, I'm really having a hard time uh, hanging on to this truth. But he also says uh, right away, we get the sense in the psalm, this man's in a dangerous position. He's not just kind of saying, you know, there's this one time. He's saying, I, I almost slipped. And later in the psalm, he uses this picture of slipping again, and it's not like a banana peel slip or like, whoops, it's slipping down a mountain and dying or, or slipping off a, a cliff. This is a really dangerous picture, this idea of slipping. 
And he says that's where he was at this time in his life when he couldn't see God's goodness. When he was doubting God's goodness, he, he was in a near-death situation. And it sounds kind of weird to us because we doubt God's goodness all the time. But he says he was in danger, and, and then he goes and talks about what that danger was. And he says, verse 3, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So in these next few verses, he's going to explain why he envied these people and who he means by the, the arrogant and the envious and, the, and, and the, the, uh, the wicked. And two things really become clear. One, whoever these people are, they, they have it going on. Everything is going really well for them. And he's noticing that. And the other thing that becomes really clear is these people are really horrible people. And what Asaph is struggling with, and it becomes obvious as we read it, that that doesn't seem fair at all. If we see, in our lives, we see that kind of situation. Here's the worst people we can think of, whoever, you know, and just uh, success after success, uh, living the high life, and Asaph is struggling. This does not seem right. How could God let this happen? So you get this feeling of this is what he's struggling with. Let's read verses 4. Uh, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. So, again, one, these people are very evil. But, number two, they're, they're having a great life. And they're actually doing so well, the last few verses say, they're actually doing so well for themselves that people, uh, even though these wicked, arrogant people are oppressive and cruel and actually doing bad things to people to get their way, people are kind of either like shrugging their shoulders and saying, oh, well. Or what it seems like more, they're, they're actually kind of drawn to these people, to these personalities. What do they have uh, that's making their life so good? And, and kind of God is just left out of the picture. But God must have, not have anything to do with how well these people's lives are going. What's their secret? That's kind of this, this situation that Asaph is watching this happen. He's the worship leader of Israel, and he's watching people follow these arrogant, wicked tyrants because they have nice lives. And Asaph has lived so differently. He's been a, a genuinely good man. He's even in secret, even in private, he's been faithful to follow God's commands. And this is what he's, he's feeling. So in verses 13 and 14, he starts talking about himself. All in vain have I kept my heart, uh, kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. So that's, that's the picture uh, we get at the end of this, people, wicked, life is great. Asaph, faithful, good, righteous, 
he doesn't go give the details, but every day, beaten down, difficulty after difficulty, bad news, suffering, rejection, this, he just feels like complete opposites between him and these people. And the question really boils down to him, what he's wrestling with is, is following God worth it? Is following God worth it? It's the question of this psalm. For Asaph, it's a question we all have to answer. Uh, another way of kind of thinking about the, the big picture, big question of the psalm, uh, I found one pastor named James Boyce, and he, he phrased it this way. He said, what is the advantage of being a Christian if those who are not Christians get what I want and I don't? What is the advantage if it actually seems that I'm being punished for being good? And obviously, that's an important question for us, an important question for you, whether you are a Christian facing hard times or whether you're not a Christian but you're kind of exploring the, the claims of Christianity, this question, is God worth it for you? And the answer, I think we'll see in the rest of the psalm, the conclusion that you'll come to, is God really worth it, depends completely on what it is that you really want out of life. Is what, is what you really want out of life blessing from God, or is it God? Because as Asaph found out, trusting in God doesn't guarantee the good life or this blessing that we might picture. And for some of us, that might be kind of off-putting because really we were hoping that God would, might be the way that we'd get X, you know, uh, whatever this is. Or for some of us, if we're even, even as Christians, that might be a frightening thing to think, you know, trusting in God doesn't guarantee that things are going to go well. But if we don't realize that trusting God doesn't guarantee us the good life, or the American dream, or whatever, if we don't get that, if we don't really embrace that and follow God anyway, then we're in danger of straying from God, like Asaph was. If God is just a means, really if God is just a means to an end for us, or being in church is just a means to an end for us, even if it's a really good end, like we really want good friends, or we really want to be good people, if God is just a means to an end for us, what happens when he doesn't deliver that end? Or what happens when we suffer? You know, maybe we get uh, depressed, or maybe we start to think, well, it's, it's time to start bending the rules a little bit because they don't seem to be working. Or, or we think it's time to kind of try something else because uh, I really, I got to look out for myself. It's scary to think, but maybe some of us haven't abandoned God yet because no one has made us a good enough offer. And we're just kind of here waiting out until something better comes along. But what's so difficult about Asaph's situation is that he, he never did that. He did follow God's laws. He was a faithful follower of God, and life was still really tough for him. And he said he had, a, it seems to us like he had a very legitimate reason to be upset with God, angry with God, questioning God. But instead, he says, I almost slipped. That was a dangerous way for me to respond to, situate, to the situation. Because remember who he's talking about. He's talking about people who are proud, arrogant, boastful, violent. These terrible people. And Asaph is starting to think, maybe that's not really so bad. Maybe being a good guy just 
you know, maybe nice guys do finish last, and they're really happier than I am. They're really better off than I am. So Asaph has this completely natural desire to run away from suffering, this completely natural desire to have a nice life, but it's putting him in the camp of these wicked people. He's, he's starting to feel like he has uh, more uh, to gain from being in this camp with this people. But that was in the middle of the psalm, and Asaph's looking back, and now he knows, and he's come to know that trusting in God doesn't guarantee the good life. So in verse 15, he says, If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So he lists all these things that make their life look better, but then he says, if I had spoken this way, if I had, if I had acted like and told people that my doubts were really legitimate and right, I would have dishonored God and I would have hurt his people. And I think one main reason why it would have been so disastrous for Asaph to talk that way about uh, the prosperity of the wicked is because it's a lie. It is a lie to believe or to teach or to say that faith in God is the path to prosperity or the path to health or the path to the, to the American dream or flourishing in this life. Because it's a lie that makes prosperity and health and material success look more precious than God. And they're not more precious than God. What shows the truth of God's goodness, and, and many of you have experienced this, one of the many ways that God shows the world that he is our only everlasting good is when he gives us the power to go through suffering or to suffer the removal of, of health or to give up our possessions and to still be able to say and experience and proclaim to people, God is better than all these things that I've lost. And I actually, for myself, had not experienced this kind of suffering that Asaph went through. I don't, you know, it's not necessarily the, the paradigm of every Christian, and a lot of us, um, maybe too, compared to Asaph, life hasn't been this, the same kind of intense suffering, but I have had the same kind of struggle to see God as better. Still the, still the struggle to resist this lie that other things are better than God. And I think this is the, the idolatry that's so pervasive. It keeps coming up in our hearts. So in good times, it might be easy for us to say, God is good all the time, uh, sing songs about it. But when, maybe even in good times, what's really driving our emotions from day to day, really what we, we daydream about, what our desires are, are things that are other than God. And so the, the same tendency to set our heart on success or security or our appearance, even if our lives are going well, that tendency to, to set our hearts on those things is putting us in the same kind of danger that Asaph said uh, he faced. Because when we put our heart on those things, what happens when God takes them away? We'll be in such danger of slipping like Asaph. So maybe well, you aren't plagued today by doubts about God's goodness. 
but maybe you're more plagued by dissatisfaction with your situation. Maybe you're not always thinking, how can God be good? But maybe you're always thinking, why can't I have better? Or maybe you're actually a very content person. Maybe you're very perfectly content, and, but you, you don't feel any impulse to seek God on a daily basis or in general. Maybe you feel like the, the people in verse 12 who said, always at ease, they increase in riches. For all of us, no matter which of these categories we're in, we need God to show us that he is our only everlasting good. And Asaph knew enough to say, I can't talk that way. That, that's wrong. He, knew, he saw the problem in his thinking. But what was the remedy? How did God change him? How did God fix him? What was the answer to wrestling with suffering or wrestling with this overwhelming desire for a better life? And that's what we start to see in this next section of the psalm. Uh, the answer wasn't Asaph like taking a three-step something or reading a certain, you know, uh, book. God is the one who brings Asaph uh, through and rescues him from slipping. Because Asaph did uh, belong to God. God doesn't let his people slip away. So in his own head, Asaph is trying to figure this out. Why is this happening? And in verse 16, he says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And maybe you can relate to that, just trying to figure out why is this so hard. I can't figure it out. And for Asaph, the answer was seeing and hearing God himself. That's what brought clarity to how he was understanding his circumstances. So if you look at verse 17, he says, he couldn't understand all this until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until he actually came to the one who is the source of all good things. Until he came to the source of all good things, Asaph couldn't understand why can't I have some of these good things and why are so many of these good things being taken away from me. He couldn't understand why other people seem to have such nice lives compared to him. But obviously, you know, looking at this guy, he couldn't figure out anything at all without coming to God. And neither can we. We're, we're so small. We're so sinful. We have a very limited perspective on what will make us happy. And we have a very limited perspective on the things that grieve us. And we can't expect to see things rightly unless we come to God for the answers. So Asaph came to God for an answer. God mercifully begins to show Asaph to, to fix his, the way that he sees. And it's kind of surprising, but the first thing that he, he shows to Asaph is not, oh, I have all this good stuff waiting in the wing, just be patient. The first thing he, he shows Asaph is that depending on the good life is deadly. <sighs> Asaph says all these heavy things, you, you'd hope God would kind of, you know, raise his spirits, throw him a party, but instead it gets a little more intense. And uh, verses 18 to 20, we see that depending on the good life is deadly. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Asaph uses his word truly again, and he had used it at the very beginning of the psalm, if you remember, he said, 
truly God is good. And now he says, truly, this good God will bring these wicked people uh, to ruin. And it's like he's saying, just as sure as God is good, it's just as sure that depending on the good life, depending on our material status, depending on our earthly situation, it's just as sure that that is deadly. And maybe it's surprising, and it sounds harsh maybe to our modern ears, but the implication for Asaph, what Asaph starts to realize, is that because de uh, depending on the good life is deadly, uh, it made a fool of Asaph. It's a foolish thing to do. Asaph had been a fool to desire the life of the wicked because they are going to be destroyed. He had been a fool because to put your trust in and stake your happiness on anything other than God doesn't lead to happiness, ultimately. It leads to judgment. Asaph should have been grieved over this dangerous place that these people were in. He should have looked, looked at them and been grieved. But instead, he was thinking about what they had, about how their life was going, without any thought to where their life was headed. He was blind to the whole truth. He was just narrowed in on this one temporary situation. And we get blinded that same way uh, all the time. I'm not seeing clearly when I, when I interact with people, and I know this person's need is to be saved from destruction, but, but really what I'm thinking about is uh, their status or their nice house or how easy and wonderful and happy their life seems to be going. It'd be like if we're watching uh, people and they have the nicest, fastest, most comfortable car we've ever seen and, and even has maybe like a coffee maker in it. That would be the bomb. And we're watching these people and they're in this car and we also see that they're, they're driving as fast as they can to a cliff. It would be a really stupid thing to do, obviously, to say, oh, I, I really want a seat in that car because look at those people, they're having it. It would just be not even uh, sane to say, yeah, 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 they're driving to a cliff, but I really want a seat in that car. And that's what Asaph begins to realize. That's what he was doing when he was envying the life of these people. And what's true of Asaph is true of us. We are fools to desire or be content with any situation or anything if we don't have God and desire him more. And the, and the reason, again, and this is the plain teaching of scripture, and it's the plain teaching of this psalm, is that those who live in rebellion against God, one day, without escape, without question, will be overwhelmed by everlasting terror. Those who don't want to have anything to do with the good God, one day are going to have every good thing that came from God taken away from them, and the only thing left, no good thing left, only terror. Only a fool would knowingly give himself over to, to desires and loves and pursuits that, that lead to that end. But if you look over at verse 27 of the psalm, it's easy to say, oh, the fool over there. But if, if you look at verse 27, we learn we've all been fools. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful, unfaithful to you. So wicked people is not just those arrogant tyrants over there that Asaph saw or the people we can think of as the really bad people. 
Wicked people, it turns out, are all those who are far from good, far from God. Because he is the only everlasting good. So he's the standard of good and evil. So you or me, we might be the friendliest, nicest, goodest person we know. But if we don't want and know God, we're not good. And that's why scripture teaches that all of us need a savior because we've all done this. We're all deserving of being separated from God because we've disregarded his goodness and loved other things, other people, other experiences more than God himself. And to dismiss and ignore an infinite goodness, the infinitely good God is infinitely wicked. There's just no other way to see it. If God is infinitely good and I don't want him, then that's an infinitely wicked thing coming out of my heart. And so it's worthy of eternal punishment. Uh, some Christians in the 1500s wrote a document, maybe you've heard of, called the Heidelberg Catechism. And they, I think, do a good job of explaining this idea. God is certainly merciful, but he is also just. His justice demands that sin committed against his supreme majesty be punished with the supreme penalty, eternal punishment of body and soul. So for those of you here who, who maybe don't feel any motivation to seek God, he, he's calling you in this psalm to wake up to the danger that you're in. It might look like you have things going for you, but like we see in this psalm, you're on a slippery slope. Because every day, uh, if you're not seeking God, you're storing up wrath storing up God's wrath against you. And that's what we do when we reject God and only take the good things that he gives us. And your only hope, my only hope, is to run to God for mercy. And he is merciful, and he is good. He has made a way in Jesus for our punishment to be taken away, for sinners to come to him and actually really experience him and find him to be our only everlasting good. And so even as Christians reading this psalm, we can be reminded that depending on the good life isn't just uh, foolish because it's deadly. Even as Christians, we've been saved from that deadliness. But it's also foolish even now because God is better. That's what Asaph says in verses 21 to 22. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. So now Asaph sees God as he really is, God completely just, completely satisfying. And Asaph said, I was a fool even to be consumed with, with uh, self-pity or consumed with, with suffering, as, as terrible as it was, because I was so consumed with that that I didn't see God as better than any good thing I could ever get and God is better than all the good things that I lose. And uh, one way I've thought about to try to picture what Asaph is saying is to picture someone who lives in poverty or uh, someone who's, who's been in the hospital long-term suffering and they've been waiting for, for someone who they love more than anybody, maybe a mom or a dad who they've been separated from uh, and they've been waiting for that person to come for years to visit them. When your dad or your mom comes and visits you in uh, that time, it wouldn't matter 
to you that you're living in poverty and squalor. It wouldn't matter to you that you're in the hospital at that moment with that person there with you. And uh, that's how Asaph starts to talk about God. At the end, in this last section of the psalm, he gives us this picture of what he's experienced, that the, the delight that comes from knowing God is better than life. Verse 23, he says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to, gl to glory. So Asaph is starting to see clearly, and it's God that he sees. He starts talking about God, not their situation, not his suffering. He says, God is with me continually. God is leading me. God is speaking to me through his word. God is the one who I look forward to seeing in glory in heaven. And it really is, so we have such a, a veil over our eyes. We have such a hard time seeing this, but even just makes sense that the source of all the good things that we tend to love is better than all those things because he invented them. He came up with them. All the wonders of science that get people excited or all the, the joys of, of music or, or the sweetness of family or the beauty of art or, or landscapes, uh, everything that's truly good exists because in the mind of God, he said, I want to make this good thing to reflect that I'm better than these things. So it's like if we have a song or a an artist's music that has really spoken to us, what, what's the most exciting thing we could think of is maybe meeting the artist, meeting the band, getting the autograph. Uh, the beautiful thing makes us want to meet the creator of it. And that's how Asaph starts to feel about God. He starts to feel like, I, I, what I really want is, is to meet the one who made all these good things. And for Christians, uh, by God's grace, we also have that, the seed of that desire uh, planted in us through God's sanctifying spirit. And so uh, God has given us this psalm also to encourage that, to grow that desire. So Asa starts talking about how wonderful God is. In verse 25, he says, whom have I in heaven but you? What makes Asaph uh, so attracted now to heaven is not just getting away from this suffering life. It's he wants to be with God. And that's so different from the way we, we hear heaven talked about or, or even think about heaven sometimes. Um, there's a professor at my school who he tells this story of, I guess, back in the day he wrote a, or he helped, he co-wrote, I want to give credit where credit is due, he co-wrote a book about heaven and a radio uh, program wanted to have him on and talk about heaven and had people call in. And he said when people would call in uh, about heaven, the number one question that he would get is, is my dog going to be there in heaven with me? Uh, so he said he didn't really know how to answer it, but uh, he would always say, well, I don't know about your dog, but if my dog's in heaven, it's not heaven. Uh, <laughs> well, that was a good, a good point, I thought. But, uh, but the point is that for Asip, dogs are not even on the radar screen, but other people aren't even the main thing. As wonderful as the reunions that we're going to have in heaven are going to be, uh, that is not what makes heaven glorious. What makes heaven glorious is that we will see God as he is there. And God's opening up Asaph's eyes. So he thinks about heaven, but now he thinks about his current life, his current situation. And he says, uh, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing that I desire besides you. I don't see things the way I used to when I was doubting. 
I had started to believe that health and prosperity and success and popularity, that a promotion or a wife or the resolution of this painful, painful problem in my life is what I need to really be happy. But they're not. Asaph starts to see, believe the truth. God is good to his people by giving himself to them. In this life and the life to come. And Asaph says, now that I see that, now that I've experienced that, I desire God more than life itself. Before, Asaph envied the wicked, the wicked because their bodies were strong, their hearts seemed happy. Now, Asaph says, uh, even though my heart is fickle and it runs all over the place, even though my body lets me down over and over and over again, even though my body falls apart, God gets me through, not to the happy life, God gets me through so that I could keep having this relationship with God. God is satisfying. God can give us, his people, this kind of delight. And he did it for Asaph. He's starting to do it in some of us, all of his people. And um, there's one story that kind of, for me, paints a really clear, almost like larger-than-life picture of the fact that this is really true, that God is better. And it's about a man I met uh, one summer in college. I was working at a camp for people with disabilities. And I met a guy, I'm going to call him uh, Julian. And uh, Julian was a tall, handsome guy. Um, but he was in a wheelchair, and he was paralyzed from the neck down because this kind of freak accident that happened in college uh, to him. And the, the, par the paraly par paralysis uh, made it so that he couldn't talk either because his vocal cords were paralyzed. So he could, he could whisper, but most of the time he had a speaker with him uh, and a little mic that went up to his neck. Uh, so one day we went out to, uh, we took all the campers to um, the boardwalk and most of the campers were out on one of the rides, so I just hung out with Julian. And he started to ask me a question, but he didn't have his speaker with him for some reason. And I couldn't figure out what he's saying. So I'd say, I'm sorry, Julian, you know, could you say that again, ask me again? And he would whisper, and try to whisper his, his question, whatever he's saying. I couldn't figure out what he's saying. I was starting to feel so bad, uh, and he was just so patient. He's smiling, kind of laughed a little bit, and he just asked me again and again and again. And finally, I think it probably took like five minutes or something, uh, with some breaks in the middle, I finally figured out what he was saying. And he was saying, my nose itches. <laughs> and I felt so bad. And so I was just really impressed with, with this guy named Julian. Uh, such a happy heart and such a terrible situation. And later I was talking to the guy who had been his counselor, who had gotten to know him better. And he said, uh, he told me uh, Julian's testimony, and he said, Julian said that the day that he landed in a hospital was the happiest day of his life for him because that's when somebody came, shared the gospel with him, and he came to know God. And if God is not real, then that's just like an uplifting story that's like comfort until we die and, and are no more. Because God is real, that is such a clear picture to us that God is better than life for us. God is better than walking. God is better than talking. God is better than having uh, even um, people to know what we're going through. 
And that's where Asaph brings us at the end of the psalm. Uh, he, he comes full circle. He's come to this place of saying, though my heart and my flesh fail, God is the strength of my life, my portion forever. So he summarizes it in the, in the last two verses. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all his works. So Asaph comes to such a wonderful conclusion. But again, how do we get to that place? It's one thing to acknowledge that Asaph came to that right conclusion, good for him. But what if we're back in verse 3, struggling, uh, envying the arrogant, envying the prosperous, struggling with discontentment? Or what if we're back in verse 13 and saying, all the day long I have been stricken. God has brought so much heartache into my life. What are we to do? How can we see God as better than life? So just real quickly, if you'll just look with me one more time at verse 16, the, the place in the psalm where Asaph's whole view starts to change. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, seemed impossible to understand until I went into the sanctuary of God. And so just to remember, you didn't just kind of waltz into the sanctuary or pop in on your way to the store to see who's in the church. Uh, a living creature needed to die in order for you to come into God's presence in the sanctuary. Blood had to be spilled. Priests were working all day long killing these animals so that people could come into the sanctuary. And it was a really vivid picture to the people that the judgment for sinning against God, for not finding him to be better than life, is alienation from God. And the cost of reconciliation is very, very costly. So Asaph came into the sanctuary of God at great cost but how do we come into the sanctuary of God, into God's presence? How can we get that view of God that can teach us to see God as better, better than life, no matter how our life is going? And what is so amazing about the gospel that's preached here at this church, that's, that's proclaimed in the pages of scripture, is that when we come to the sanctuary, when we come and look at the sacrifice that gets us into God's presence, that sacrifice itself is where we start to see God because we see Jesus. We see Jesus as the sacrifice that brings us into God's presence. Jesus made the way for us to realize the deadliness of sin by dying for our sin. Jesus, who is the God-made man, made a way for us to see the goodness of God by taking on the wrath of God. And when we look to Christ with a faith that is itself a gift, a good gift of God, God is at work in us when we look to Christ to start showing us how good he is, to start giving us the desire uh, for him that is greater than all things, to start seeing him as our greatest treasure. Because Jesus on the cross has broken down the barrier of sin that kept us from fellowship with God, but also he is at work in his people breaking down the idols and the distractions that, that keep our focus from fellowship with God. And fellowship with God, as Christians, we proclaim, we believe, we seek to, to take with us into the week. Fellowship with God is better than life because all of our lives on this earth are going to come to an end. Maybe tomorrow, maybe in 10 years, but all of our lives are going to come 
to an end. But the delight that comes from having a real relationship with God through Jesus will go on and on and on and grow and grow and grow because Jesus has brought us through what he's done on the cross into a relationship with the God who's the everlasting good of his people. And there's no other thing that will satisfy us. There's no other thing, no other person that can save you. If you're starting to slip today, if you have slipped the way that Asaph did, shift your weight onto Christ. Turn your focus to Christ. If you're a Christian and you're struggling with discontentment, struggling with this question, set your eyes on Christ. Think about the judgment that he will bring on the, on the wicked. Don't envy their situation. And think about the judgment that Jesus took on himself so that you can start to see the goodness and the treasure that God is for us. Let us this week, let us now in communion look to God, look to Jesus, our only everlasting good. Let's pray. God, there's so many things that